I don't. Thank you very much for your time and to be my third guest. Um, we met on Twitter. Like yes, we did. All the, the, the guests that I have. And today we will talk about your journey from a conventional IT service provider to uh, one of the Shopify agencies that have a different approach to offering their services. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I'll make it as, as short and concise as possible. Um, so I started in, um, I've, I've had my current business like for over 20 years now. And I started like you, like you mentioned as a classical, like IT service provider. I was, I was working for banks and IT projects. I had some, some subcontractors working for me, freelancers. I never had any employees, never wanted any, um, and worked in, in Munich for, for a bank and staffed IT projects with freelancers and that eventually got boring and I kind of burned out and uh, put the whole thing on autopilot. So I still had subcontractors going for me, uh, working for me and money coming in from that. But I dropped out of the, the active duty, so, so to speak, and um, went on what eventually became like a seven-year sabbatical slash self-finding journey, whatever you want to call it. And during that time, about 2012, I came up with uh, with the idea for a physical product called the Grooveboard, which was a, a lap desk for the iPad at the time that had just come out like two years prior, I think. That led to opening a Shopify store um, at a time when Shopify was virtually unknown in Germany. There were probably like a couple of hundred stores at the time in Germany. And uh, because I had to customize the store to make it work in Germany, to make it legally compliant and all those things, I got to know the platform. And because I'm a software developer by trade, I know my way around code. Uh, I figured, you know, this might be a good way out of the old IT consulting business. And um, by chance, I got listed on the, back then, the ShopFX experts directory was um, like, like the, the directory of, of service providers on the Shopify ecosystem. And I got listed on there as one of the first in Germany um, and got my first jobs relatively quickly. And from there developed over the years to, well, I'm still doing it today, but I'm doing it full-time now since 2017. That's when I started doing it full-time. It was a side oh. gig. And then for a couple of years, it went, got more and more. And I, and, and I, I realized that I could, I could take it full time. And I did that in 2017. And yeah, that's basically where I'm now. And right now I'm, I kind of let, I don't know if COVID was, was the, was the, was the reason for it, but I kind of, um, got a bit lazy uh, and burned out again, um, on the whole Shopify stuff and e-commerce stuff and doing client projects. And so I let the business languish a bit and, um, got a bit lazy with things and, Right now, I'm in the process of giving my solo agency, as I like to call it, because it's not freelancing, it's not an agency, it's kind of thing in between, um, trying to give it like a, a second lease of life. Okay, great. But let's start with like, you, your agency is not like a regular agency. I found you, I think it was in, uh, in the early 
260, mm-hmm. something like that. I, th- I think it was like that. Mm-hmm. And I was working on a Shopify store and I was working like for freelan- freelancers to solve issues. So I don't have to read documentation because I'm lazy. And when I found your agency, you didn't have like the conventional agency, like um, we offer this service and that service. You were like straightforward. Uh, if you want like um, German compliance, like for the invoices stuff, like, it costs like I don't know, hundred euros. If you want like the theme setup, it costs like two thousand euros, something like that. So you went from you you didn't created a conventional agency with services and everybody is calling you and you will say, yeah, the cost depends on, I don't know what, you went with a productized service. Can you explain why? Why did sure, you go sure. this route? I actually, I started out con- completely conventionally like everybody else because um, it was starting working as a, as a Shopify um, freelancer or agency or service provider, let's call it that, um, was also, was completely new to me. Um, and the, the, uh, corporate IT consulting world is something completely different. And that's, that's my background and software development from the technology point of view. But I, I had never run an, a business like this, never run an agency, never worked with, with, uh, small clients like that couple exceptions, but, but more or less, I was, I was kind of finding my way into it. And so I started out like everybody else. I charged hourly. Um, that was, that was how I got started. I got the first inquiries from leads. They asked me, well, I need this, that, and the other thing. And then, okay, I'll just try to estimate that as best as I can. And, um, what can I, what, what can I charge hourly? Yeah. I think because I'm starting out 60 euros sounds fair. And <clears throat> that's how I started out. And after like, one, two, three dozen projects of varying sizes, patterns started emerging, things started repeating. And I figured, you know, I'm doing this over and over again. I'm getting fairly routine at it. Why, why am I punishing myself by charging hourly when I'm getting faster at providing the service? I'm the faster and the better I get, the, 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 the less I earn. That doesn't make sense. And I think at the time I read a book by Jonathan Stark called Hourly Building is Nuts. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's about basically about value-based pricing. And that kind of planted the seed in my head of, of trying something, something different in terms of selling my services. I tried implementing value-based services that didn't go very well. Um, but I was still hooked on the idea of just charging a fixed price for a fixed outcome. And so I started out with taking those things that I did over and over again for clients that were more or less the same um, and priced them based on what I would have charged if I would were charging hourly. So if, 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 if a particularly particular de- deliverable would take me like two hours, I would, I would take a, like an hourly rate of at that time I'd upped it a bit to like 80 or 90. I, I don't know. I don't recall. And we charge like 150, 160, 180 euros for it and put a price tag on it, make a list of, of deliverables and say, this is what you get, this is what it costs. And that, that worked surprisingly well. And so I, over time, 
added more more products to that it became a real tangled mess and because it's it's a living living thing and i started implementing processes for delivery and and templatizing things and all while still doing hourly on the side because the the productized stuff wasn't covering it yet uh in terms of revenue but but over time i uh I basically didn't do hourly at all anymore. I was like in the in the core years where I really had not perfected, but where the system was kind of chugging along nicely. I wasn't doing hourly at all. I was just doing fixed price. And I had more or less everything templatized, standardized, and was whipping out stores and customizations one after the other. And it was going quite nicely. I'm in a world that is like your old world, pretty conventional, mm -hmm. let's say old school. You mean the, uh, the, like the IT consulting world? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's it's um, based on like, just in comparison, we scope everything and then we say it takes like 500 hours. Mm -hmm. So because I personally didn't found any approach to explain clients and I didn't read the books. So maybe that will help in the future, but it's always when I say, okay, we will develop a store for you. So it's, it's a fixed outcome. Okay. We have a design, it's custom, it's based on their, uh, um, uh, look and, and CI CD, but it's always how much time do you need? I'm like, no, the, sh the store costs, let's say 50,000 euros. And the purchase department, you know, the German purchase departments, they were like, yeah, but when we buy like a thousand uh, screws, we know what each screw costs. So they have the same approach to services and value that we provide as they have to like physical things. How do you, what's, what's the best approach to convince somebody that value-based pricing is much better for them than like, or how do you get them away from the hourly pricing? Well, I, I mean, I can't speak for corporate clients because back when I was still working for, for that type of large client with five figure and six figure budgets, um, those are completely different clients than I work with now. And back when I was still doing the IT consulting, it was typical that they had a project that had a budget and then they, they staffed the project with freelancers and it was all hourly billing, but you had a, like, you were hired for mostly full-time for six months or maybe 40, 50% uh, for a whole year or whatever. But it was at the core of it, it was hourly. It wasn't value-based at all. Um, and that was what they were used to. And that's what they wanted they actually did the sourcing the the procurement department also kind of tried to purchase purchase freelancers and, and staffing projects like they were buying paper clips but it didn't it didn't really work out that way um so that was essentially hourly billing um i don't know how to get people to to um to agree to value-based pricing i i think i mean i i, I tried implementing the value-based pricing approach as jonathan stark teaches it and I'm, I'm not saying anything's wrong with his approach because it, it definitely works for him and it works for a lot of people but for for the people i work for now and and my my target market i'm certainly providing and selling a value i'm not selling them time i mean 
unless I actually am, because I do sometimes work on something like retainers. Um, if I don't have a, a um, like a fixed price package that that fits the bill, um, but it's it's certainly a value proposition in that I'm offering a fixed deliverable and something that is of use to them, but I'm not really pricing it based on that value because I don't know what that value is for them. Um, it could be one. That's that's also something that that I think Jonathan. It's a while that I've read the book, but I think. One thing that he mentions in the book, and it makes sense, is that value is very subjective. Um, a value for a billion-dollar company is of something of a logo, let's say, is a lot higher than uh, of that same logo for a mid-level, like a $10 million a year uh, uh, um, business doing lawnmowers or whatever. I don't know. So, so value is very subjective, but I'm selling the same thing to different people at the same price. So it's a, it's a different approach and I'm not pricing, I'm not pricing based on value because I simply don't know what that value is to the individual client or customer. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's, let's say it's easier for you because you communicate all the, let's say products that you offer and the people know what they are getting. So exactly. Implementation of Playbios, something blue, or I don't know what, and, and it's easier for them than, let's say, for an agency when some client um, calls them and says, "How much time do you need to build an e-commerce?" Maybe that's that's yeah. the, the big difference. Yeah. The thing with the product as a service, I see it over in a few agencies, and we do always the same things over and over again. But I have the feeling that digital agencies claim that they are like innovative, but they struggle to templatize, as you said, uh, services and just offer them like in a fixed price. It's like always, we always go back to the drawing board and try to figure out the scope, but the scope is always the same. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different. But this, it is the same at the core. What do you think, or, or what's your uh, uh, thought on, on that why digital agencies didn't work in this way? Because everything is pretty predictable. It could build what, what do you mean exactly by digital agency? Give me, give me an example. Let's say like an e-commerce agency. Okay, so basically a store like mine. Yes, but okay. with 50 people and they are doing like, from I think, well, I think I can only presume, obviously, I don't know what, what goes on in the heads of, of, of my, my fellow colleagues, how they offer their services. And I'm not the only one, by the way, doing productized services. Um, at the time, I was probably the only one, and I'm probably s still among the few that do it because, as you said, the vast majority don't do it. They have the typical agency page, and they're selling just a bag of services, but there's no prices there. You have to inquire for a price and every price is negotiated per project. And it's, it's a new project every time. I think you have to decide what you want to be to whom. Um, you can't be everything to everybody because the typical approach to freelancing that I've experienced and that I started out with is basically you, if you're not reaching out, leads are coming in, you're doing inbound marketing, like content marketing, whatever. 
somebody comes to you and says, I need this and that and the other thing. And then you try to figure out how to render that service and figure out a price that makes sense for both parties. If you, if you have this approach, productization is not going to work because each lead is going to be different, or at least they're going to sound different enough that you don't see the similarities between them that you could tie together into a product and offer that. So I think you have to go to the drawing board and figure out what part of the work you're doing um, is the same or similar enough from project to project, from client to client, that you can standardize it enough. You, you can't, I mean, some things, ideally, if you offer a downloadable product and instructions for installing that product, it can be completely hands-off. And that's actually something that I'm working on right now. Um, because I, my ideal scenario is I want to, I want to have a quote unquote agency where I can basically just, I wake up in the morning and have like three sales in my inbox from last night or whatever. I mean, who doesn't dream of that? Right. And at that point, it's not going to be really an agency anymore. It's just going to be a digital products company or whatever you want to call it, but it will provide services that would otherwise be rendered by someone sitting at a computer and actually doing it manually. So I think what keeps you keeps people from productizing their services, is trying to be too many things to too many people, um, not willing to say no, because if something doesn't fit your portfolio, you can either, that's also what I did. If, if I get inquiries for things that don't fit my current portfolio, I say no. Um, but if I get five inquiries for the same thing, I figure, hmm, maybe I should add that to my portfolio. And so then I take on maybe that client, that the, the fifth client that I cave and I take on the project, charge whatever for it. And it doesn't really matter at that point because I'm just trying to create a new product for my portfolio and using this client project to create it and get paid for it at the same time. And so I create this new product because I know there's obviously demand there. And when that project is finished, I have a new product for my portfolio. And the next person who comes and inquires about that same or very similar thing, um, I have something to offer them. And maybe they even find me through that new thing because they search for this search term, whatever it is, and found exactly my new productized service. And maybe I have to adjust it for the next couple of clients because it, it isn't really it's not chewed in yet, yet it's, it's still a little bit wobbly on its feet, but over time, over a couple of projects, it'll, it'll become something that I can basically use over and over again with very little changes from project to project. But you have to be willing to say, to say no to stuff that doesn't fit what you're offering. Yeah. This is not going to happen in agencies because agencies they need money. They need. They need to make payroll. That's the problem. Yeah, that's that's the one thing. And um, most agencies have the mindset that we can do everything. So yes, if somebody comes and says, "I need a shopware store," you know, like yeah, sure, hell yeah, <laughs> you get like yeah. none. But uh, hey, yeah, we will build it for you. Uh, and and. You have more the approach, okay, focus on one thing and then ignore everything else. Yep. And um, then you can see, okay, if the fifth inquiry is like, there is something to it, let's try it and, and get paid for it and optimize it 
iterate on, 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 on other clients, then you can basically scale even if you're one person. Right. I see it with, uh, what's his name? Um, he's running Design Joy. Um, yeah, I know, I know him. Brett? Uh, Brett? Um, Brett something or other. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah. Brett from design joy. I, I, I'm, yeah. his, his last name is escaping me, but I think yeah. we know what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 It's all, we are in the same for the business. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of no, why, why did you focus just on Shopify? I know you, you started your, uh, like, uh, you want to sell a product and then you work on Shopify and then you oh, okay, that, that's great. Why didn't you move to different systems? Like in this time, like 2012, 13, we did just Magento stores and Oxid and PrestaShop. Shopify was like, oh, the legal issues, you know, it's in Germany. So the legal issues and payments yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Why did you double down on, on Shopify? That was actually, I saw, I saw it as an advantage because, because I was, not the first, but one of the first movers in that market, in the German language market. And um, I was listed in that experts directory and that's how I got my first jobs. Um, but I hate being dependent on something like that, a platform that I don't control. So I want my business to come through my own website, which is why I never did any work through Upwork or Fiverr or whatever. Um, at the time, there was basically no content, no German language content related to Shopify at all. And I decided, I think it was in 2014 must have been, I started, I started blogging about Shopify and I thought, I'll just try this out. I read a bit about content marketing and how to use that to attract leads to your business. And that actually worked very well and very quickly because it was like pouring water into giving, giving water to a thirsty man in the desert, right? Because there was nothing there. There was like one blog article that was severely outdated with information about Shopify that was long since incorrect. And that was it. And I started blogging about stuff, didn't even really do any SEO research or anything. I just figured what are people going to be searching for and like the basics and some more specific stuff. And, and it worked very well. And of course the, the question presented itself, um, do I branch out to different systems? Like WooCommerce was up and coming at the time. Never really considered like, things like like um, um, Magento because e-commerce systems are so complex now, and they were complex enough back then. But but now even more so, and I think especially as a solopreneur, you can't really do more than one. Uh, and even if you see people who just build normal websites without e-commerce functionality, which is a lot less complex because e-commerce is the website stuff plus all the other stuff with payments and, and, and checkout and cart and all this, all those things. But a lot of them also specialized. There are people who just do Webflow. There are people who just do WordPress and especially if they're, if they're solo, um, as an agency, obviously you can, you know, have five people doing WordPress, three people doing shopware, whatever. But for me, it never really occurred. I, I, I asked myself the question, but I figured I actually made a bet on Shopify because I figured the way they're growing and the way they're marketing themselves and they're really fresh, fresh wind in an area where that was, had grown pretty stale. I mean, Magento still around today, obviously, but they were really up and coming at the time. And I kind of saw that potential. I 
like to believe I saw that potential and I kind of made a, made a bet on it and, and said, um, I'm going to go all in on Shopify. And it was low risk for me because it was a side gig at the time. I still had income from the IT consulting. Um, but it grew from there and I had never had a reason to branch out because if you're, I'd rather be like a medium sized fish in a small pond than a big fish in a huge ocean where you're just one of the other big fish, which I never wanted to be or could be as a solopreneur. And so, um, it never really presented itself. Yeah. And, and why didn't you choose to extend or scale beyond yourself, like to build an actual agency, like with a bunch of people and HR and stuff like that? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of terrified of the idea <laughs> of, of managing people. Um, and I don't want to manage people. It's something that I decided a long time ago that I don't want to have employees. I've managed freelancers. I, I have no problem with managing freelancers. I had, I had up to a dozen subcontractors at a time during my IT consulting days. And I've worked with freelancers from various countries on various projects for software development, design, video production, all those things. So. The deal with freelancers is that there's no responsibility beyond they deliver the work, they get paid, and that's it. It's a very simple relationship. Um, with employees, especially with a market like and, and the, the, the legalities of it in Germany, there's just so much tied to it. And the thought of having to make, make thousands of euros of payroll every month, and that's what leads to I mean, sure, you can you can grow your agency and you can make millions um, if you do it right. But I know I think I, I, I sleep better um, without that much overhead and and having to meet a certain quota every month to 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 make to make payroll. That's just and again, I I, I don't enjoy managing people. So the first thing I would probably have to the first person I would probably have to have as an employee is someone who manages my people and. I don't know if that really works because I think the first people, the first people you have to put on your staff are people who make money. And that's, that's not no. someone who manages the people. So, no. So the whole Shopify, um, community is pretty, um, pretty active. It's, it's one of the systems that are, um, that have a good documentation where you can find things because they have like a huge development team. And with all the developments, they are tapping into waters that are not, let's say, familiar to regular Shopify developers. Uh, we talked in the beginning, um, they are moving with the investment in Sanity, the CMS, and uh, the development of, of Hydrogen front-end framework and the purchase of Remix Run, which is like a progressive um, front-end framework based on React. They are moving away from this monolithic structure to a more headless, composable approach. And I don't know if, if you worked already with this because it's still edgy. It's not, there are a lot of issues that you have to rebuild everything from the beginning. That's, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, even the whole card, the products and everything. 
But where do you see, from, from, from your point of view, the development of Shopify and the community and the App Store? Because there are a lot of people dependent not only on the architecture of Shopify, how it is now, they depend also on the um, apps they are providing, which in some instances will not be able to function in like the headless world, in the new world. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts on that? Well, I'm vaguely aware of, let's call it that, vaguely aware of all those, those developments. I haven't worked with any of them. I know the terms. I don't really know what they mean. Um, from what I've learned so far, I think all these things as they are now are more targeted towards larger enterprise uh, merchants. They're not, they're not going to be viable for like merchants doing less than, than a million or even 2 million a year in, in revenue. Um, so this is, I think this is an enterprise play at, at least at this point. Um, because the cost of those projects is probably going to be like five to 10 X of a regular, this is basically, I think Magento territory where you pay like 25 to 50 K for, for, for a completely custom store. And there are businesses that need that, but those businesses are not my customers. I've worked with, with some bigger companies, like I've worked with Jockey and with Heineken, and even they, they just work with, with a regular Shopify platform um, and and a, and a template from the theme store and that works for them. And so that's, I still think that that market, I mean, I don't know how much these new technologies um, make up in terms of, of uh, GMV or market share, whatever you want to call it for Shopify. I think it's definitely something they want to invest in um, or they are investing in it. But I think the, traditional classic Shopify where you have this monolithic um, cloud cloud service um, that, that does the whole e-commerce thing from A to Z and not just provides a technology platform to plug uh, a cart and a checkout into any other platform, which is what all those other headless things are. I think they're going to be two separate things that are going to coexist for I think for, for me, at least for the foreseeable future was for me, my, my horizon right now is like 10 years. And I think even 10 years from now, the core Shopify system is still going to be there unless they want to abandon like 70% of their merchant base, because I think that's a probably even the low estimate. I think uh, the vast majority of their merchants are still on the, on the quote unquote old monolithic uh, full service cloud service. And I think that most of them will remain there. Yeah. That's something what I, what I, uh, um, heard from, from, um, a different Shopify agency. Um, and, uh, they said the same, it's the ease of use. People want to avoid all the things like DevOps, which you need. Yep. Um, you have like extensive QA because you have a lot of API connections if you're using like middlewares and stuff like that, and you have to rebuild everything. So if you need like a real custom, let's say custom experience, which is like totally tailored to your brand and your features, and you want to plug in like different layers or personalization layers, then it makes sense. Otherwise, I guess 99% of all 
Shopify agencies or freelancers will stick to the basic system, which and is merchants will too. Merchants will too. Yeah. Yeah. It will be merchants will only switch to like the headless system if the agency, I would say, nudges them. Like, hey, it's cool. So we can build the front end, and if yeah. you decide, yeah, we don't need any, or we want to move away from Shopify to I don't know Salesforce, then we have already the front-end components and we can just plug it in a different system Yeah, easily. So it'll take a little bit, I guess, around 100K to move like, to a different system, but yeah. that's, that's okay. But yeah, they will, they will definitely stay um, there. So where do you see um, the future of Shopify? They tried last year, or they, they implemented, I guess, the NFT thing. They're like moving in different paths and uh, in, 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 in different directions. And what I see, they are like implementing features from applications that are available on the app store that are good, make money. And they're trying to implement all the features like the newsletter, I don't know, translation, all the things. What's your take on that? Will it? Uh, make the platform more um, brittle because now we have like a solid foundation and we have all the apps that are um, uh, working independently. And if they are pushing more and more into the core, will change everything? Or what's your take on, on the future of well, just from a technology standpoint, I think it won't really change that much uh, for the platform because they're implementing all those things. What what Apple uses know as Sherlocking. Uh, when 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 you develop something for a platform, like from the perspective of an app, Shopify app developer, you develop an app, put it on the App Store, um, which is the only way to to sell apps to Shopify merchants, and then you become really successful, and then uh, Shopify creates their own version of that app. Um, Amazon has been known to do that too. And it's called Sherlocking because uh, Sherlock was an old tool on the Mac platform. And um, I don't recall the specifics, but you could, it's, it's Googleable. Um, so that's what what, what uh, Shopify has actually been doing for, for a while now. But in terms of technology, um, it doesn't change much about the platform because I think all of the, all of the things they're doing, they're not, they're not bloating their, their monolith because they're implementing all these things as apps themselves. Even now, if you look into the, if, if you look into the Shopify admin and you look at each view that's rendered there, um, if it's editing a product description or if it's uh, managing customers or whatever, all those things are apps now that are loaded in an iframe. So I think they're they're kind of tearing apart the monolith to make it a little more agile. Probably the wrong term, but to make it less of a monolith. And so I think they're they're not really adding a lot of stuff on there to to bloat the 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 core system. They're just adding stuff where it's needed and offering their own takes on things that, frankly, were always blind spots in in the the ecosystem. Like um, that, they would eventually offer their own translation translation app. Um, I think it was inevitable. Uh, it just took very long, but. Some things that Shopify take incredibly long um, to 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 manifest themselves, but it's kind of ridiculous that they that they offered 
a translation platform on the back end, but no way for a merchant to use a first-party tool to actually create the translations. You had to use something like Langify or Weglot or whatever, um, which is kind of ridiculous. And so that was the writing for that, I think, was on the wall. And, and a, lot of, a lot of other things along those lines are happening too. Um, they're just kind of clawing back some ground that they lost um, because they don't want to answer these uncomfortable questions anymore. Why doesn't Shopify have that? Yeah, got it, got it. From your point of view, what are the, let's say, five misconceptions of, about Shopify, especially in Germany? Because it's, uh, I think uh, this year somebody told me uh, there is an issue with the CDN that is not GDPR compliant and everybody is like panicking in a German manner. So it's mm -hmm. move away from Shopify, move to something different yeah. uh, over the weekend. And then it was like uh, a different, um, let's say, marketing automation provider. Oh, it's not uh, GDPR compliant again mm -hmm. in Europe somewhere. Yeah. Um, what are the, the, what are the, the misconceptions about Shopify from you? Well, that whole kerfuffle that happened a couple of months ago was um, this was I think Happy Coffee was the was the store they they, yeah, um, they 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 came from WooCommerce and then they moved to moved to um, moved to Shopify and the guys I think he's also solo maybe has some VAs working for him but he's also one guy selling coffee and and he's doing a very good job of it um, I think he makes like one point two million a year. Uh, in revenue, something like that. And so apparently somebody reported him to some data protection authority, whatever, that he was using Google fonts, um, Odahar Google fonts. And he wasn't using them locally. They were kind of, they probably was an app that was doing it because the, the standard fonts in Shopify are not coming from Google service. They're coming from Shopify CDN. Um, and Shopify didn't budge on the whole topic, and and uh, um, the CDN also played a role that that CDNs, not just Shopify's, all CDNs like Cloudflare, whatever, um, they're apparently also problematic from the point of view of of some data protection authorities in Germany. But I think they're going overboard with that because I mean the IP address is being transmitted. Yeah, big deal. I mean it's a it's a it's a dynamic inf dynamic IP address that that nobody can do anything with. But let's not let's not even get into that discussion too too deeply. Um, I think well I I don't think I know that you can you can definitely operate a Shopify store in Germany. Um, which is perfectly legal, legally compliant with the GDPR. I don't have any doubts about that. There were some minor niggles um, uh, from Shopify side too, how they how they processed cookies, how they stored cookies without consent, but they fixed that. Um, so if you if you set up a Shopify store right now with the bare minimum of, of data collection, it's perfectly legally compliant. With everything CDN aside, but I don't see that as a, as an actual real issue. Um, I think that was a little panic reaction on the side of, of Happy Coffee at the time, because he he was facing like a fine of potentially sixty thousand euros, and so he moved platforms. Um, other misconceptions of Shopify. 
Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about Shopify come from the fact that it's a cloud platform. And my clients always ask me what happens when, especially the clients that come from other platforms like WooCommerce or Shopware or whatever, what happens when the system, when the platform gets an update? Because they're used to having an agency send them a bill for like 5,000 euros when there's a platform update. And then I tell them, doesn't happen. It's completely transparent. Um, and my own store is using a, a, a template from like five years ago and it still works. So you don't even have to update your, your template. Um, because Shopify, one of the things they do really well is maintain backwards compatibility of, of the platform. Um, so that's a misconception that, that people think that Shopify, there are updates like with other systems, and that's not the case. So it's a cloud service, completely transparent. You get new features when they're rolled out, and that's it. Um, well, that it's not legally compliant, obviously, is, is, is a misconception, but I don't really think that that's a – that was one blog post that blew up for like a week, and then, <clears throat> you know, the next thing came running through uh, and that was quickly forgotten. So I don't think there's a widespread misconception about Shopify being not legally compliant in Germany. I mean, there are people who always like to panic about these things. And I think sometimes in, in Europe and in Germany, we take like the whole privacy thing a little bit too far. Um, yeah. Like, like the potential ban of ChatGPT. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even think that that potential ban was in the books, but yeah, discussions like that, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Italy banned it for for reasons that didn't have anything to do with the fact that it's it's generative AI. They banned it because it was they were kind of their privacy policy was a little bit wobbly, and they were they were processing data without consent, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, um, I told my wife today uh, that they will. Or a salt post, I think. I don't know where I saw it. I guess on Twitter, um, where uh, somebody posted, um, yeah, like Germany will be the next in line with banning ChatGPT and join like Italy, Russia, yeah, North Korea, and I don't know. yeah. And I told her that, and, and she's using it more than I do, and she was shocked. I was like, why? Why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal? And I was like, yeah, it's for like privacy concern. What privacy? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I guess at the end, it was just like the, the um, privacy policy that, that, as you said, was, was not something like that. Yeah. But when I think back last year, when we had like the hype of um, NFTs and Web3, and I looked at all the projects that are available on, um, there was like a website, none of them, not a cookie consent, not the privacy policy, of course not. phone number, nothing. Of course like not. <laughs> the, the domain was blocked. You could, yeah. you didn't know who was behind it. And they were like big projects or big rug pulls, let's say. Yeah. But let's go back to the point of AI and ChatGPT. Where do you see it in e-commerce? We had like, as I said, last year, everything was like metaverse and e-commerce will be like, you will buy sneakers with your VR goggles and then you will get like an NFT for your sneakers. And yeah, how's that doing? Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that went well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but now with with AI, we we where do you see the role of AI in e-commerce besides like generating content? Well, generating content is is the obvious the obvious one, obviously. Um, I think um, I'm not recalling his his uh, real name. He goes by Blank Lob on on Twitter. He's a, I think he's a French guy. He also develops uh, um, stuff for Shopify. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's Blank L O B. Uh, look him up. He's he's pretty interesting if you're into Shopify stuff. And I think he he just today or yesterday announced an app for for Shopify where he's doing um, like a chat chatbot thing for 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 the merchants and uh, not, not for the merchants for the customers of the store so which in itself isn't very new their chatbots have been around for i don't know how long and they all mo more or less sucked um so it'll be interesting to see if if um if they get better now because you can these large language models you can you can train them on your own content on your own way of speaking to customers and that's what's a lot different than the old models. And it remains to be seen how useful they actually are. I don't really have a prediction on that. Um, but I think in the end, these these AIs, as we know them now, they're probably going to be everywhere within like two years. They're not going to be, there's not going to be anything where they can be used where they're not going to be present in some way, shape or form. I haven't really put too much thought into it. I've used ChatGPT and actually pay 20 bucks a, a month for, for, for ChatGPT Pro just because it's so much fun playing around with it. And I, I hate it when it, when it takes so long for, for, for the output. And so for the 20 bucks a month, you get higher priority and, and that works well. And I've actually used it to, to create a, a to write a little, to my, migrate a little Python utility that I wrote myself to, um, to a new uh, a GUI library, like to, to PyQt. And I could have done it manually, but I would have had to look at documentation and debug the whole thing. It would have probably taken me better part of a weekend. And with ChatGPT, I just wrote a prompt, which was quite challenging to really nail what you want the thing to do. But in the first run, it created exactly what I wanted, even named it correctly. Um, it named it based on the concept that what the app was, which was basically a Python script runner. And I just copy pasted it into a little Py file and ran it and it ran on first try. That was, that was kind of fascinating. And, and, you know, the, I really, really wonder where this is going to be in five, even five years from now. I can't imagine where it's going to be 10 years from now. It's overhyped right now, but I think um, it's not going to be like some people say, yeah, this is the new Web3 NFT crypto. I do not think that at all because it has an actual value. NFTs never have value. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> there is the meme, like the, the freeway with like 50 lanes. Mm -hmm. and We're all like, making a U-turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Web3 Experts going to AI, right? Becoming, uh, and there is there is some of that. There is some of that. There is there are people selling get rich quick themes like 99% of people are using chat DPT wrong. Here's what blah, blah, blah. And then they sell you their $297 course and all that. They're everywhere. Um, and yeah. obviously they're on every hype. 
But just because they're there doesn't mean that there's no substance there. I think there's a lot of substance there because I've used it for something and it, and it worked just for a very small thing. And so I think that's, it's here for, it's here to stay. Yeah. I think the big difference between like the NFTs last year and uh, AI this year is the utility. Exactly. You have something, um, the ease of use. That, that's something that, like... yeah, go on. Sir. Sorry, when you mentioned utility, because that was something that, that, was, that was always mentioned alongside NFTs, that there were NFTs that had actual utility, like you could, you know, participate in some stupid conference or something or would get a badge or like the, the definition of utility of, of NFTs was completely ridiculous. And AI, the current iteration of it, um, which definitely has its limits, which we'll probably see fairly soon, but it definitely has utility already. It has utility. You can use it in your daily work, not for everything, and you shouldn't, and you should always fact check, obviously, but uh, it had a, has actual utility, and you can, you can use it to, to save time, which is the most precious resource we have. And, and um, I'm not sure how I'm going to use it in my job. I only know that I will. That much is sure. Yeah, I think the the whole dev community will just benefit from it. I don't think you can replace, or you should you shouldn't replace people with AI. Um, but you you should, let's say, um, uh, give them superpowers. Like yeah, um, right. If you have like a co-pilot and you work on something um, and it, it fixes things along the side. Mm -hmm. And um, I tested it myself with a, like Shopify. Like, I need to display this and that. Um, what's the way? Mm -hmm. And with ChatGPT4, it gave me like comprehensive description of what was I doing or what should I do and um, where should I put uh, the code. Mm -hmm. And it worked. The same, I, I did the same for Laravel. I don't have a lot of PHP experience. And I had to change like the payment system from a user to a team. Mm -hmm. But the team has multiple users. And it also gave me like the correct thing back. And yeah, and at the end, please migrate your database and stuff like that. So, so I think if you're a developer and you use it correctly, you can be much faster and the yes. will be much cleaner. Yeah, uh, there are also privacy concerns on which things it's training. I don't know, but for developers, I think it's it's a blessing. It definitely can be yes. For copywriters, I think it will be a bit ahead. So. Well, I'm. I don't. I don't know that business enough to really to really see if, if it's a net benefit to them or if it's actual threat to them. Um, I think it's definitely a, a threat to bad copywriters because uh, ChatGPT can probably create crappy content like, like nobody's business. So they're out of a job. Um, but you know, nobody, nobody really has, we as developers, we don't have the right to keep our jobs forever. We have to keep changing all the time. Um, but it's definitely going to affect some, some 
areas more than others. And I just tweeted this the other day and it, the tweet actually went, went fairly well where I said that, you know, the clients we get as web developers, they're, they're, they're barely able to tell us what they want. And most of the time they don't really know what they need. And so there's absolutely no scenario I can see right now where a potential client of, of, of us would, would go to chat GPT and, and instead of hiring us to create an online store or, or develop a software, because they simply could not create prompts that would result in anything usable. And I don't see that changing within the next like five to 10 years. They're still going to have to rely on we, we as, as professionals, our work is going to fundamentally change and mostly for the better, I think, but we're just going to have to rethink a lot of things. Um, I don't think we'll all become like prompt engineers, but it's become a, it's going to become a big part of going forward. Yeah. I saw a tweet and I, I think I saw something similar or, or along those lines a, a few years back. Um, and I think it was when Copilot launched mm -hmm. and or some other AI development tool. I don't know what it was. And, um, Somebody also wrote, like, people, we are safe. Clients can't breathe correctly what they want. So yep, we, are, exactly. we are totally safe. And, and I have to be honest, in, like, two decades of working in the industry, I never had a briefing where I was like, this is awesome. I know what I have to do. <laughs> no. I will do it. Me it's neither. Like, no. <laughs> okay. It looks good, but I have, like, uh, five sheets of questions. Can you please <laughs> get back to yeah. me? <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, we will be safe for time. Yeah, I think so too. Great. Yeah, we have uh, close to one hour. Um, I think that, that that's a wrap for, for the first session. I think we have to do another one in a year and then see if... Sure. AI has the same future as NFTs or will suffer the same thing that NFTs well, and You know where my money is. NFTs. I got it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think they're going to make a big comeback. Did you, just off topic, um, do you, did you buy any NFTs? NFTs, no, I have a little, a very small uh, uh, amount of, of, of mixed crypto. Um, I, I had like a, a phase of maybe two to three weeks where, where I was going down the rabbit hole as it were. Um, and I still think crypto has its applications and I don't think crypto in itself is completely ridiculous. Um, nobody needs that many crypto currencies, but the whole topic in itself, I think still has merit and we'll see where that goes. I don't know where it's going, but, uh, I think there's still useful applications for the technology. Um, it's just not NFTs because NFTs were, you know, people talked about rug pulls. NFTs were a rug pull from A to Z. That's, that's all they were. And, um, I don't, I think it was basically people who got rich with crypto, um, trying to scam other people who got rich from crypto out of their money. That was so no harm done. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I'm glad it's, uh, I'm glad it's, I don't know if it's over. It seems, it seems kind of over with, with NFTs. And I was kind of 
not really shocked to see Shopify get into the NFT thing last year, but I think they're not really going to pursue that any further at this point. It was, they like to hop on trends, but I don't think they're going to take that any much further. I, I certainly don't hope so. Yeah. For me, I, I think it was, um, I tried to purchase, for, first of all, it took me like two days to figure out how to transfer money. Oh yeah. That's that was like, it was yeah. like, how? Why? I felt so stupid doing it. Like <laughs> it was like I was trying to read read a documentation for for a lawnmower in Greek or something. All the concepts, nothing made sense. It was like a completely different language, and I think that was on purpose. Yeah, it, it made it the, the entry like with Germans like to say the the the, the Yeah, the yeah, the, the, the um, barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah, the barrier. To entry. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Um, was so high that um, you had to be like in, in this community and, and you have to breathe the same air yeah. as the others to participate in it because it was like, yeah, you need like a MetaMask and then you need like a hash. And I don't know where it is. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, and then I went to OpenSea uh, to purchase something and it was like, I don't know, 50 euros mm -hmm. or I don't know, a pot in a jar or something like that. <laughs> um, and I think I have that. And there was like gas fees and I was like, what? Yeah. What I get? Yeah. For what? And it was like the, the purchase was like 50 euros and 115 euros gas fees. So it doesn't make sense. It's like when I send somebody money to, I don't know, Argentina and it costs like, one euro and people mm -hmm. are complaining about that mm -hmm. and now we are paying 10 times for like fees yeah the fees were often on some transactions the fees were higher than the actual money being transferred yeah. ridiculous and, like like 10x yeah yeah and i was like oh no it's nothing for me that's no i'm too old for that <laughs> well, i just i just put a little bit of money into it just just as a you know just like like um, put everything on red at the casino. That was basically this, the the play. I didn't believe in it. I just think you know, if it works, why not? You you you'll be you'll be sorry you didn't you didn't do it. And you know, if I lose the money, then it'll hurt a little bit, but it's not going to kill me. Yeah, I think we all had a little bit of FOMO. Yeah, that's the you FOMO is big. If, if, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but at the end, it was like. Interestingly <laughs> enough, with interestingly enough, with the I think with the, you have, or maybe it's just me, but I tend to have FOMO with stuff I think is only going to work for a short time. It's going to be away fairly soon, which turned out to be true with NFTs um, and and crypto in general. But with with AI, I don't have the FOMO because you know I'm going to just let this see how it plays out. We're we're having like hundred new AI tools launching every day and 90% of them are not going to be here in three years. So let's see how this plays out, but I'm sure it's still going to be, something's going to be there in three years and I'm going to keep up to date and use it as best I can, but I don't have any FOMO because it's not going away. Yeah, I think me neither, but I think it's, it's uh, tied to the barrier of entry. It's easy to use for everybody. Everybody can use AI. And to an extent, sure. I mean, you yeah. have to, you have to, to get good results. You do have to figure out. I mean, prompting is not an easy 
easy science nope. at it's, this point. It's, somebody said, smarter than me said, shit in, shit out. Same as the briefing. Exactly. If you, if you type in stupid things, you will get stupid things. Yep. And there is no, um, there is money making, there is a gold rush, but it's on the developer side. Yeah. The company side. So yeah. it's not, not everybody is trying to make money from AI. Like, I don't know, my mother, let's say, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But like with NFTs, we're like, do you have like a monkey? Uh, no, I don't have a monkey. But, but it was like, yeah. everybody knew about that. You could make money with like pictures, but, and I guess th this is when the, the whole formal started, but now it's like only developers are trying to build new things on top of the existing ones. And there is no gold rush in the, let's say with normal people. No, the end user, there's no gold rush there yeah. because, because it doesn't have direct monetary value because right now the, the applications for end user are very limited because the methods of input are still so limited. Um, once you've, I mean, the, the first things like auto GPT came up over the last couple of days where somebody hooked together a couple of systems and then they had, they had, uh, uh basically chat GPT, but it was voice controlled and it could actually do things like order pizza. And, and, and so not just produce text, but it was being used to actually do things. And that, that's definitely gonna, gonna happen. So I think like the quote unquote intelligence that a system like GPT has right now in a system like Alexa, like in, 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 a, in an Amazon Echo or in, I mean, those AIs now, they're kind of like, they, 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 they seem even stupider now than they, than they seemed before because they're next to useless. They're like a jukebox that you can control with your voice or you can do a Google search with your voice, which is not really that impressive, but hook those things up with a new generation with, with this current version of, of, of AI. And I think we start getting places that become very interesting for the, for, for, for normal people. And I'm just thinking about how I can use it to save time, you know, to, to automate things in my business and not to make money, but to, to make the same money and work less. Cause that's, that's really all my, all I'm interested in. More money is always good, but I'd la I'd rather have more time. Well said, well said. <laughs> Thomas, thank you very much for your time and the insights and uh, the good thank you too. That you had. And uh, we will see each other on Twitter. We will. Bye. Bye.